Hey, traders, David Frost, my strategic forecast, here for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. Today is Monday, July 12, 2021. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. What do we have on the docket today? Well, by looking at the chart and stating the obvious, we have another set of new highs. It was on less than the average daily volume, but yet again, price is the absolute arbiter, and we have new highs. The question is what's going to happen going forward and in today's video we're going to discuss some off the beaten track stuff that I think you'll find very interesting. Here's the first question of the day. Are we in the midst of or could we potentially see a blow off top that really lights things on fire a little bit, sends the market up a lot higher, even though it's already high beyond what people can believe that it would go. Is that a possibility? And the answer is, we don't know, but here's the reason why I'm going to say it may be a possibility. And here's the deal. This is more of market psychology and kind of the way things work and where people do the wrong thing at the wrong time. It kind of wraps up into this conversation. So here it is. So over the last several days, I've been seeing some blurbs, whether it be on TV, over the internet, on certain blogs. You know the drill. People send you stuff. They send you clips. All kinds of things. And what we've been seeing is kind of one of these march to the big bet scenario. So here's what I'm talking about. So I hear one scenario where... A trader that's historically bought a large sum of VIX options, for example, betting the VIX is going to make a big move in one way or the other. Well, apparently that trader is back in business. That's item number one. Now, by the way, I have no idea whether these things are true or not, but I'm getting to something. So stay with me. There's always a method to the madness. Another one, I'm hearing stories about a large put position bought in the SPY. Again, I have no idea whether that's true. Some people know it's true. I don't track that stuff, all right? Not that I should or shouldn't, I just don't. But here's the point. If those things are true or even believed to be true, and a lot of traders followed suit, I'm not saying they did, let's just say they did. Let's say a lot of traders bought puts, bought call options on the VIX, whatever it is. Well, guess what? Let's say the market started going against them. A trader's nature is to buy short duration calls or puts. That's the way a lot of traders think. It's wrong, but it's the way a lot of traders think. The reason it's wrong is because you're adding in too much of a time premium risk. So when the option or the actual underlying thing goes against you, the premium gets sucked out of the option, and now you're just scratching to get back to even. It's not a lot of fun. So let's say a lot of traders follow suit. This is a total hypothetical, but this is how these things develop. Then all of a sudden, let's say a few days later, they realize, oh no, something changed, I'm wrong. What could have changed? Well, let's say some piece of news comes out that the market all of a sudden takes as very positive news, a la, we're right at the front end of earnings season. Let's just say the market likes what it has to hear this week and it sends everything that reports earnings up and the broader market goes along with it and they start to have a melt-up or a further melt-up slash blow-off top scenario develop. Well, how do those things take place? They take place 
because there's a lot of short covering. Buying begets buying. Panic buying sets in. All of those things are melted into the same pot. But one of the largest components and probably the thing that sparks it off is a bunch of short covering. How do you get out of put positions on the SPY? You have to sell them. What's that the same as? It's the same as buying the SPY. Same thing goes for the VIX. Let's say there are big bets betting the VIX spikes up and those traders think it's wrong and they want to cover what's going to happen. Well, the VIX is going to go down. The volatility is going to get sucked out of the VIX if the market goes up in a blow-off slash melt-up operation. Now, let me qualify all this. We have no idea whether this is going to take place. I'm laying out a certain scenario. Why am I laying it out right now? Because there's news upon us. It doesn't matter what the news is. News gives the market an excuse to make a move. We have earnings season kicking off this week. Not to say the market's going to go up for the next five, six weeks in a row, but it could start on the way up with the front end of earnings season. We just don't know. So with news on the horizon, we have the excuse on the horizon. That's what I'm saying. And by the way, just to throw a monkey wrench in the whole thing, it could work in the exact opposite direction. That's why we don't know. That's why these things aren't trade ideas. They're not trade opportunities. I'm telling you where my head is relative to what could possibly happen over the next several days, where the market is, we're at new highs. The trend is your friend. It is the dominant thing. So if the market's going to find an excuse to make a big move, it's easier. I'm not saying it has to happen this way, but it's easier for the market to find an excuse to continue propelling itself higher. Until when? Until we see a sign and or signal of a trend change. We've got to see the market say it's having a character change. Something where the trend begins to morph from shorter time frames into the larger time frames. The pullbacks we've seen, the trend starts morphing on the shorter time frames, and then we see a rescue operation, we see ultimately a pullback, and then new highs. And we talk about this all the time, and we said, are we going to see another one of these? Here's a move up, a pullback, a move up, pullback, move up, pullback, move up, pullback. Sometimes the pullbacks are very small, sometimes they're a little larger, but we've always seen new highs until and unless they really break the trend. They haven't broke the trend. They threatened to do it on a daily chart, but they haven't come close on the weekly charts. The trend is the dominant thing. It is what it is. And by the way, over the last, and I'll say long term, you can pick a number. It's several years. There's never been a more truer statement than the trend is your friend. Now, I also said there was more stuff that we were going to discuss, some off-the-beaten-track stuff. So here's the next thing, and the reason we're not spending a lot of time on the charts right now, and we'll get to other stuff, other charts in a few minutes, but the reason why is because they're making new highs. There's not much to discuss other than the trend is your friend and they're at new highs. We don't have to really get into the shorter time frames. They're all at new highs. The market finished on a high. So here's the next thing I want to discuss. And first, let me lay it out like this. We all have our go-to people for whatever we need. For example, you need a handyman, you probably have a go-to person. You need someone to analyze charts, you probably have a go-to person. 
Well, as we know, even though I don't discuss it a lot, if at all, the majority of the time, but the Fed is a big part of the markets, right? The Fed is adding liquidity on a consistent basis. The Fed thinks they control everything. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, whatever. I still need to keep abreast on what the Fed is doing, what they're not doing, kind of the numbers behind the numbers, what's really going on under the covers. And you can hear them discuss it, meaning the talking heads, they, on TV, but there's not many people that I think have a lot of credibility on TV. I'm sure there's a few, but the normal cast of characters, I think they're just adding platitudes to the Fed. They don't really tell you the real stuff. That's the majority of what's on TV, not the real stuff. But I found a guy on YouTube that's really into the Fed. He understands it. He knows his numbers. He knows economics. He knows how the markets work. He really knows his shit. And you know that really infrequently that I'll actually pass on somebody else that I'm recommending for a specific thing. But when I find something that's good, I'm not afraid to pass it along. I think you should listen to this guy if you're at all interested in learning about the Fed. Now, stay with me on this because there's a method to the madness. Now, before I do this, know something. I don't know this gentleman. I just found him like anybody else on YouTube. I like his content. I'm willing to share my thoughts, and I'm willing to share the fact that he's got some content worth watching. So here's the story. It's Heresy Financial. The gentleman's name is Joe Brown. And here's the point that I wanted to make the whole time. So what caught my eye was he began talking about one of his latest videos. You can go peruse his channel and watch the last few, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm not going to try and recreate what he was teaching. What I'm doing is giving you the 30,000-foot view and then my take on the situation. So here was the topic. The topic was the debt ceiling and how Congress, based, I guess, at the beginning of the pandemic, they extended the debt ceiling for two years, or at some point in the past, they extended it for two years for whatever the reason was. I don't really remember as vividly as I would like, but here's the point. That two-year window is expiring at the end of July. What does that mean? It means that they're going to have to get into a scenario of either Congress is going to raise the debt ceiling, kick the can down the road, extend it for another year, six months, two years, whatever the case is, and whether they have to get agreement on that or not, maybe they can jam it through from a one-sided perspective in Congress. We don't know, but how these things normally work out, and this is my two cents, and I think even this guy mentioned it, Joe mentioned it as well, they generally come down to the 11th hour. And here's the point that I want to make. If, in fact, they do this thing and they scare the markets. We're going to run out of money because they're not going to raise the debt ceiling. Markets all of a sudden go bananas. What happens is they generally come to an agreement at like 11.58 the night before. Not every time, but a lot of the times. And then the market gets relief and it snaps back again. I don't know whether that scenario is going to take place, but our awareness from a market perspective and a technical analysis perspective is if we begin to see them discuss this thing on TV and we begin to see the market react to that type of situation and that begins to snowball, meaning the discussion, you need to be aware of this type of thing going on. Maybe between now and the end of July, it doesn't even come up at all. I don't know whether it will, it has, or it won't. 
It's something I thought was worth mentioning. We have earnings season coming up this month, really starting tomorrow. And we also have that thing on the horizon. There's a couple of other things brewing out there. It's a good time to be on guard. By the way, I want to mention something else. I'm jumping back to the SPY, but I'm actually talking about the ES contract, which is at 4377. So we know the magnetic thing. I discuss it all the time. The big fat round numbers are magnetic. What's the next fat round number? Is 4400. It would be similar to about 440 in the SPY. So the closer you get, the more magnetic they become. They draw price in, whether it's on the upside or the downside doesn't really matter. So that's another awareness that you need to write down, put it on a sticky note, you know that thing. One more thing that I want to mention, one of those obscure type of things. And I've done this one before, and these things typically don't mean anything until after the fact because they're obscure. You're trying to find a relationship with numbers, and that's where I'm going with this. I'm going to one of those number discussions. And you don't know whether there's going to be a relationship until there's a relationship showing on the charts and the fact that you had a reaction from a certain number that creates the situation that I'm going to lay out. But I try and look for these things ahead of time, knowing that they're not all going to work out. But I got to tell you, over a long period of time, there are some that work out and you do stare at the screen for quite a while. You scratch your head and say, oh my, here comes another one. I'm going to keep it simple. You don't have to be a believer in this stuff. You don't have to think this is anything worth anything. I'm going to do it, and then we're going to move on. Some of you like the number thing. Some of you find it fascinating. Others maybe will catch on later. Maybe it'll spark some interest. Here's where I'm going with this one. Here's a monthly chart of the SPY, and it shows the low from 2009. The low on this chart is 67.10. We'll use 67 for rounding purposes. So what are we doing with the numbers? Well, as far as I am concerned, a part of what I do has to do with geometry. It has to do with the foundation of mathematics. As you know, if you've taken my course, Lazy E-Mini Trader, a lot of market symmetry comes into play. Those are some big topics that had a lot of subtopics in between. Just using mathematics as a foundation, what if we took $67 and we decided to square 67? Okay, so what does that give us? How about 44.89? Now, in SPY terms, 44.89 doesn't really mean anything. Theoretically, we could divide it by 10 and it might mean something, but what if we switch over to the actual S&P cash index? Well, the closing price today on the S&P was... 43.84. It's not quite 44.89, but it's not that far away either. Now, I'm not saying the market has to get to 44.89. I'm not saying it will or it won't. I just find it interesting that when you take a operation like a squaring of a number and you come out with something as close as this is, the market's perpetually been going up and up and up It's obviously being drawn to somewhere. The question is, can you match that number up with a point in time that relates back to the March low of 2009? I'm working on it. What about inside the numbers today? I wish there was something more to say about it, but the market was not a trader's tape today. 
It was a market that was a grinding, chop shop, melt up, pennies at a time type of situation. That's not a trader's environment. What traders who are inexperienced tend to do in those environments is force the issue. They create trades out of thin air, they end up getting chopped up, and they end up going home with their tail between their legs. We're not going to do that. What I am going to do is still show you what happened inside the numbers. Go back and double check the charts after you read the notes. I'm not going to read them to you. I'm simply going to scroll up. You can pause the video, read everything for yourself. We will circle back to stocks on the move in a moment. I just want to get on record what was inside the numbers today, even though the market wasn't necessarily our best friend from a trading perspective. Now, let's check out. There was only two opportunities, potential opportunities on the board, INFY and COP. There was hardly anything moving in the pre-market this morning. It's the summer. It's a Monday. We're on the cusp of earnings season. It's not here yet. So there wasn't a lot of reason nor excuses to have anything going wild today. Infosys just went sideways all day today. It had a haircut at the open, went sideways. Why? Because it's likely headed to another destination. It hung out for a cup of coffee, ate time off the clock. How about ConocoPhillips? The number on the board was $58.71. In the first minute of the day, within the first minute of the day, how about the first couple of seconds? The low was $58.73. They immediately took off in the other direction. So it turns out it was a screw job. I don't even know if anybody could have got filled at the 73. It just hit it and ran, and that was the end of it. So the point that I want to make is not that we missed a trade. The point that I want to make is we still had the numbers correct. So missed by a couple of pennies. But when you look at the big picture and you say, look what happened. They weren't really moving a lot at the open. They were down a little bit but they were headed to a destination, and guess what? Once they found the destination, what did they do? They turned around, and they went back up in the other direction. That supports the case that when things are rising or things are falling, they're in effect not just drifting, they're headed somewhere. Once they get somewhere, a decision point happens. Hang out for a cup of coffee because there's another destination further away, or turn around and go back in the other direction. Hence, that's what happened here. The numbers work. What's going on over in Camp IWM? Well, while the SPY was up about four-tenths of one percent today, the IWM pretty much struggled most of the day, didn't really get very far. But in the bull case, the most important thing is it stayed above the 50-period moving average and closed above Friday's high. That, in a sense, at least from a conceptual standpoint, is follow-through from a technical perspective. It's not a lot of follow-through, up 34 cents, but it is some follow-through. In other words, the opposite of follow-through is failure. They didn't fail, so at least that gives the bulls some cause that higher prices are in the offing. Where would those higher prices go? Well, you have the 20-period moving average ahead. You also have the next in line, breakdown candle high, comes in at 229.46. 229 and a half, give or take, for argument purposes. That would be a natural price where the IWM would be drawn to in a bullish tape. Still, from a weekly chart perspective, we're above both breakup candle lows. 
They ran a pretty significant test last week of both, and guess what? Nice recovery, never closed below the 20-period moving average, and here we are, the trend is your friend until she throws you out the third-story window. We'll bring back the RSP today. We won't look at it every day, probably, but we'll look at it from time to time. And again, not confirming yet new highs. If they do, they do. But we're analyzing what is, and they haven't. What exactly is this for the newcomers? Quite simply, it's the same thing as the SPY, but instead of being top-heavy toward a few of the biggest, baddest stocks on the board, this is equally distributed across 500 stocks. It's a true representation of the breadth of the S&P 500. By the way, before we move away from the IWM, we should know that it is my favorite market-leading indicator, and it was lagging the S&P. It's of note. It is a puzzle piece. It's on the table because the second one is the transports, and we also had a down day in the transports against an up day in the SPY, so it has to be a puzzle piece. It has to be on the table. It's my second favorite market-leading indicator, a number one canary in the coal mine. Into the convergence of these moving averages, the 100 is sloping up, the 20 is sloping down. If they can recapture the 20 and start pushing above back up toward the 50-period moving average, that's one thing. Today, it's weakness against an S&P 500 that's making new highs. You can't not notice this. I understand that's a double negative. There's a method to the madness. And this doesn't mean there has to be an unraveling of the market tomorrow. It means that it's a puzzle piece. It's helping us to build the picture. The picture will be complete and ready when it is. We don't get to decide when that is. The market tells us our job and our challenge is to be able to see it. The folks out in Silicon Valley, the Q people, hanging around the highs. Again, the trend is your friend. There's nothing material here that gives us any kind of peg to hang our hat on whatsoever. So we'll just move it along. How about the XLF? Pretty good day for the XLF, right into what? Right into where it couldn't go past before and failed, which also happens to be the 50-period moving average. And what do I mean by that? Let me do that again. So we make a low, or they make a low, and they rally up, and they stopped here. Whether or not the 50-period moving average was here at the time doesn't matter. They stopped here. That's the way the market tells us that this price area was important. For what reason? We don't know. We don't care. The market tells us that was important because it was rejected. Now, instead of continuing down further right now, they're back up at the same spot. So that spot is important from before, so we know that. So if they bust through it, what's the likelihood they keep going? Well, it's pretty good. This is like a recocking of the gun. You have a breakdown candle high here, and this is close to what they tried to get to before. So the question is, would they stop at this breakdown candle high, or would it be more likely they would continue up to this one at 38 after recocking the gun? So if I clear up the noise out of that one, we go up, we fail. Now they go up again. This is a recocking of the gun. 
not to go to here because they already tried that. It's too close. This would be the common sense logical place. And by the way, I just did that entire thing in real time without even having considered this before starting the video. The point that I want to make there is that's how I do it. There are no secrets. There are no coincidences. There are no accidents. Everything is right out in the open. The way I look at it, one more thing, high or low, recocking of the gun, this is no good, this is the next spot. So regardless of how I say it, I have many different angles or reasons that all point to the same thing. High or low is bullish, low or high is bearish. I didn't make that up, that's just the way it works. Smash mouth, the trend is your friend until she dumps you right up to this breakdown candle high above all the moving averages, near the highs period. So technically there's nothing wrong here. Easy for them to push to new highs if they so choose. Can they use earnings season as a spark? A la what we talked about about 20 some odd minutes ago. Yeah, that could happen very easily from where the market is near the highs. A lot easier to send it higher than to send it lower around the highs. That's just the way it works. Have I told you how much I appreciate each and every one of you? Without you, these videos are not possible. True and accurate information. We're going to pull the ripcord here today. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis.